back to the Short Game. It's a show where we talk about short video games, sort of thing that you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by two awesome co-hosts, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing pretty great. And uh, my twin brother, Shane. How are you doing, Shane? Hey, I'm, I'm really good. And uh, this week, we're talking about a game... Wait, no, no. Hang on. Can, I, can we do that again? Ask me how I'm doing. How are you doing, Shane? I'm super, brother. Oh... Oh, Jesus. Yes, I'm so glad you went back for that. <laughs> um, I, it's, I'm going to have to search my soul and decide whether to edit that out. But uh, you've got it. This week we're talking about Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP, a game that had its fifth anniversary uh, just this week. And Excuse me, actually. It would have been uh, last week. And when you're hearing this, even more weeks ago. <laughs> well... Hopefully not too long. Uh, I'm hoping it won't be too long of an edit, but it might be a sort of a longer edit than usual because this game is so focused on its incredible soundtrack that I'm going to be putting as much of that soundtrack into the episode as I possibly can without making us inaudible. Uh, And so uh, hopefully you're enjoying some of those sounds already. There they are. Our adventures shall be underscored by the lovely Jim Guthrie. Do you guys remember when this first came out? Uh, were you oh, yeah. like familiar with it at the time? Did you play it then? So I, at the time, was um, working and trying to get really well-versed in iOS as a game designer. Um, I was doing a lot of little kid games and trying to get into like the best. So I, anything with a five-star review from anybody was going straight to the top of my must playlist. And I took this to the mall in Seattle on my iPhone the second it came out on iPhone. And I went to the food court and I sat and downloaded and put my headphones in and played like a good little girl. And I could not use... My fingers were too big for the tiny <laughs> tap areas. Like I got to the part, there's a puzzle with tiny birds... And I could not, yes. for the life of me, tap those tiny-ass birds on my iPhone. And I felt like the worst gamer on the planet. Because I couldn't play the game that everyone said had the most magnificent touch interface. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what a failure. That's really interesting. I didn't really have that exact experience. This game was very much on my radar back then. Um, but for whatever reason, I I actually bought it when it first came out on iPad. It actually came out on iPad a month before it came out on the uh, the iPhone. So it would have been March of 2011, and um, I bought it because I was a real I was an early adopter with the iPad, and I was very convinced that the iPad was going to be the next great gaming platform. And uh, at the time, I was working at an Apple store, and I was you know well and truly indoctrinated, and I thought iPad adventure games. This is going to bring adventure games back, and I was really excited about it. And then I don't really have a good explanation for why this is, but I opened it up 
and I started playing the game and it didn't grab me within the first like two seconds. And then I went and looked at Twitter. And that's like been the entire story of me and games on the iPad. I, I have a hard time really sticking with them because it's the same device that I look at Twitter on. And it's so easy to just flip over to that. And this game requires you to get into a zone, a, a sort of a Zen mode. Um, and it's got a different pace than most games, particularly most games that I actually do enjoy on iOS. And so I didn't really give this game another shot until here recently. And I played it on my laptop and it worked for me really well. Um, So I I totally recommend, even if you've given the game a shot and didn't get into it on your touchscreen device, it's got a, it's very touchscreen oriented. It feels in a way like you're playing a touchscreen game on a laptop, but it worked for me on a laptop in a way that it didn't on my iPad back in 2011. It's funny that I have a very different relationship with my iPad because I almost exclusively use it for gaming, um, probably because I was so used to iPod Touch, iPhone for my primary like you know information consumption device. So when I got to this, I mean the the I was really happy to finally get to play it on the big screen where I could use controls, but I. Um, I was using my 2016 brain where I was like, why doesn't this have multi-touch? Trying to solve all the puzzles with multi-touch all the time. And a lot of it's just tapping. And, you know, it's it's a very differently – the pace – so many things about this game feel so familiar because you've seen them so often that playing it now, the only things that I felt like really reminded me of 2011 were the single input devices, which to me is why it ported so well to desktop. I think when I when I first played this game, um, it had been out for quite some time. I think it had it had been in the sort of general consciousness for a long time, and I think I picked it up when it went on sale at some point because there was that was a stretch of time where where I was uh, always watching for games to to go on sale as they would on the uh, the app store, um, and I was playing it on my phone, so I had a pretty similar experience to what you describe, Laura, where the teeny tiny touch targets um, were too teeny tiny for me to touch. Um, but really the, the, the thing that, that stuck with me about this game was that it, one of the games that I went back to again and again and again, and then would get to about the same spot and then, and then drop it. And I've gotten different, different amounts into the game and, it's still a game that I haven't finished, and I and I, I I just don't really think this game is for me, which is so weird, because I love this kind of game. I love uh, ad, I love point and click adventure games, so it's hard to say. It's funny because like I had sort of a, a, the diff, a different experience, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the the specifics of like you know some of those places in the game that might might be a little bit of a stumbling block for some folks, the small touch targets, some of the spots that Shane mentioned, mm-hmm. but, um, but like my experience this time around was amazing. Like I really, really enjoyed this game a lot more than I expected to, given that I remembered kind of, kind of giving it a pass back uh, a few years ago. And I don't know if it's because I'm different or that I just played it in a different circumstance, but I found this game incredibly engrossing. And, um, so I, I'm really excited to talk about it a little bit. Um, so if you're not familiar with Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP, by the way, are we saying sorcery or are we just saying we sorcery? We're definitely saying sorcery because it makes us sound like goofy. It, it is great. Sword and Sorcery EP 
is a point-and-click adventure game. Sorcery. It's got a very unusual tone and an unusual pace for a, a game like this. It's low in terms of, like, puzzles, but it's very high in terms of... Um, music. Of music, yeah. It's very music-focused. It's music like a half-rhythm game. You could kind of guess that from the title because it, ha- you know, right there in the title, it's an EP. It's This is a music experience. And you sit down with it in the same way that you might sit down with uh, with a record album, and uh, and you, it's meant to kind of give you a particular, I guess, sort of groove experience. Maybe if I thought of this game more of as an interactive album, it would have made more sense the first time. Because I was looking for an adventure game, and I was thinking there was going to be a lot of jokes, and there are jokes. It has a snarky sense of humor, but it's much more into this kind of atmospheric feel that you're hopefully feeling through this music groove that Reagan's going to put under this. And in fact, and and when I was playing it, it really made me wish that every album that I really enjoy had a mellow, uh, you know, adventure game to go along with it. Like this was a new way to appreciate music for me. Like well, once I really got into it, this was this was a music experience. I want a, like a David Bowie um, adventure game. That's what I want. I want a Ziggy Stardust uh, uh, versus the Spiders from Mars. Kind of adventure game. So something better than Omicron the Nomad Soul, you're saying? Wait. Huh? The David what? Bowie adventure game? N- no. What? It's not true. What? It's, it's it's garbage. You don't want to play it. But it's from Quantic Dream. You remember uh, the, <laughs> oh, no. the the makers of like Heavy Rain and whatnot. Um, Omicron the Nomad Soul. Uh, it's uh, came out on the Dreamcast in 2000 and... I think also oh, no. on PCs. No, no, no. Dear listeners, you cannot see the look of horror on everyone's face as Reagan is telling us about this atrocious game that we're we're not speaking of because we're going to talk about this good game. Right. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. No game. more information about Omicron the Nomad Soul. But if you are interested in playing a really garbage game that features uh, David Bowie as a character and also he was uh, involved in the writing and and even yet it turned out to be crap. Um, oh, what a shame. Yeah, check that out. Uh, <laughs> back to talking about Super Brothers. Super Brothers! Uh, <laughs> that was the theme song that I just made up. That was great, Shane. I really appreciated that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I've got to say, the, the game Super Brothers, it has had two incredible things going for it. One was perfect timing. As I think we're we're discussing in the in the the era where everyone was rushing to create uh, and consume content on these new touch devices, we're relatively relatively new. And the other thing it has going for it in spades is its style. It has incredible style. Yeah, it's got the like for people who've played like um, you know Fez or these other like micro pixel 
type of it's pixel art, but it's incredibly detailed pixel art. It's way beyond eight bit, you know, and it's not even it's creatively placed pixels because these sprites have a lot of jauntiness and a little bit of angularity to them. They're boxy, but they've got a lot of extra personality. And, you know, one of the characters is Logfella and Logfella's logs have the most are the most detailed set of logs I've seen in anything that didn't have a painterly style. Those logs have so many pixels on it, which again I think is because it started on iPad, and then you know before it even before I got on my tiny little iPhone that barely took all of it. Um, I, I feel like when it really shone was probably when it got put on Retina screens which was several years later. The art style really predates this particular project. Like this is Craig Adams's art style. And he's been doing uh, pixel art in this style for years before this game ever came to be. So in, in the super brothers of the title is Craig D Adams. That's just the name that he goes by. It's a singular. It's, it's not uh, it's not a, a actual pair. And Craig D Adams is super brothers. And if you look him up, you'll find a bunch of art that he, he, did for years before this game, all in this sort of pixel style. And the game is a really interesting collaboration between Super Brothers, that is Craig D. Adams, and Jim Guthrie, the musician, who is really front and center in this uh, in this project. And then the game developers, Cappy Games or Capybara Games. And those three together kind of made this project and they've had really interesting stuff they've done since then. But I think that this is really the thing that put all three of those people or teams on the map. To me, when this was coming out, Capybara Games was the big name for me on this because I was coming down from a long addiction to Critter Crunch, which I can't recommend enough. It's an amazing puzzle game. Has anybody else here played Critter Crunch? No. Oh, you, you've got to. Critter Crunch is a tremendous kind of weird twist on the sort of sort of like the match three and it has a great little cute mascot uh reagan it'd be right up your alley i'll give it a try uh, but they also made super time force which is another game that i loved very much uh, super time force is excellent yeah. i actually yeah, see a lot recent. of the influence of this game on super time force because of its Definitely. sort of pixel style like it's clear that the folks at cappy games learned a lot by making this project and it it in a way really launched what everything they've done since, which has been on a sort of a different scale and, you know, super time force, for example, um, had just nails a pixel art style. That's clearly a descendant of what, um, what super brothers was doing. Yeah. And like a recent show we did, um, oxen free, the space is more important than the characters, except that they like zooming in a lot more. Um, this game is constantly zooming you in and out, and sometimes it points the camera in certain ways. You're doing a lot of wandering through landscapes, um, but you also get to do a lot of kind of admiring the landscapes and kind of as you slowly meander and listen to music. Um, I, when I played, to be honest, was surprised there weren't more than I thought that you might find a brother in the game because I didn't know Super Brothers was the <laughs> artist. Um, because it's Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery. And I was like, ah, oh, Sword belongs to these Super Brothers. Maybe I'm going to go find the bro. There are no brothers in this game. There's very, very few uh, men in this game who, who who even could have brothers. It's a uh, cast of, they're the, the main character and the, uh, uh, and one of the two prominent NPCs are both female. 
You've got just one fella, log fella. Ah, you're forgetting about the archetype. Oh, I am forgetting about the architect. Also, who knows who knows the gender of the dark shadow that lurks at the the top of Oh, what was the mountain called again? Um, Mini Mungitai? Is that it? Something like that. Well, that, that interesting enough. Like I, I, I had, I was Wikipediaing some of the things here, uh, and I, I noticed that the name of the mountain is actually it's named for a real mountain, uh, and the legend of that mountain is that it's where they imprisoned Prometheus. So um, you got that kind of connection going. There's a lot of very real seeming names. You're, um, mm-hmm. So actually, let's set up, let's set up what, what you're actually experiencing towards the beginning of the game. You know, this game is divided into four uh, sessions. I love that they do this because when you first open the game, uh, you get a title screen with a little smoking uh, businessman, all pixelated. And he's kind of tapping his foot. And when you start the game, you kind of end up in, I guess, an interview with this guy. We later learn he's called the Archetype. And the Archetype explains to you that Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP will be occurring in four sessions. And that the first session will be about 15 or 20 minutes long. Um... And uh, he encourages you to play it all in one go. And then he gives you some very cryptic advice about the game. Um, And then suddenly you're dropped into the world of the game. And there's this clear sort of framing device, but it's not like a really specific framing device. Like, it's not like the... um, We don't know if this is... Is this a therapy session? Is this a job interview? Is is he a music executive? Like, who is this guy, the archetype? And what is the frame story that surrounds the the Scythian, our, our actual main playing bowl character? We don't really know, and it kind of doesn't matter. Well, before you even get dropped into the archetype, you are the launch screen is a record. It's an album playing, and, and you choose to hit a play button. You know, the actual arm of the vinyl goes down. So I think they're playing a lot of different metaphors in this game, mm-hmm. but once you get in, I mean, I was really impressed that they get to come back. Like, the record is not just the launch screen. It's not just reminding you that they have a pretty soundtrack. They keep going back and forth. The archetype gets to come back. Um, unlike a couple other games where the framing device is just that, um, I think Super Brothers likes to, if they introduce a metaphor, they like to carry it forward. But they're not afraid of mixing metaphors in a way that kind of feels additive rather than rather than lazy. And as someone who is a uh, record collector and also a deep lover of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I from the intro I was sure, okay, this is this is going to be the game for me, uh, and yet um, I did kind of bounce off of it. I mean it likes to take its time and i it think was the pace the yes. pace is very slow and when you are you know it feels like a swedish film suddenly dropped into this game <laughs> like you're wandering very slowly um and you know it doesn't condense screens like things we complained about in grim fandango or you're constantly running down hallways you're going to be walking down steps and running through fields you've been through several times before and the game just kind of wants you to chill and if you're not in that hangout kind of psychedelic relaxed mood 
if had I actually successfully played that on the lunch break, I would have lost my damn mind because I would have gotten through the puzzle I got stuck on and then been like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And the answer is some wandering. Yeah. I think what Laura's saying is that I have no chill and she's right. <laughs> You're a very busy man, Shane. Well, something very that, busy man. Something that really the, the reason I think that this worked for me so much was that I really made a point of sitting down and putting on the best headphones that I owned and sitting in a place where I could sit in a comfy chair with the laptop propped up and just take the time to listen to the soundtrack of the game and think of it as, you know, I, I'm I'm prone to, if I'm playing a game that has long stretches of things where I, I don't have to do a lot of thinking about things, I'm prone to put on, uh, you know, some music or put on a podcast or, you know, kind of multitask. Yes. You can't do that with this game, but also you kind of have to do that with this game. You are multitasking. This is a game about sitting and listening to a sweet record and there's a game that you have that you play in order to uh in order to to change tracks it's a it's a concert it's a music box for playing uh playing the soundtrack well you know i I think in in that that's an that sounds like a very noble goal but i think where i it might fail there is in some of the what i felt like obtuse puzzle design um so if we if we're talking about some of those places where we haven't really discussed the collection of woodland sprites, little balloon heads, right, uh, features prominently, especially um, in kind of the progression of the game, you're gated by collecting these woodland sprites, and some of them I just flat out had to look up how to get them. I had. I had to look up. I had to look the, that up one time, um, so I actually didn't feel like it was too bad. Uh, I'm not great with adventure games or, or you know, puzzly things. Uh, a lot of adventure game puzzles sail over my head, and I end up having to look stuff up. Um, I didn't really have that experience here because very often, in fact, the vast majority of the time, collecting the Sylvan sprites, it, it's it's a per screen thing. You'll walk onto a screen and there's a little spume that is bubbling up from the ground that tells you there are Sylvan sprites here. And usually then you just have to look at the look at the scenery and you can tap on everything. Well, you can kind of tap on everything and that'll and that'll usually kind of give you a hint about what you're supposed to be doing, but most of the time it's something very simple. It's either tap on pairs of matching objects or there's be a reflection in a pond and you have to tap on the things that are out of place that aren't the same between the the surface of, and the and the reflection but i think you're pointing out puzzles that are later and i think early in the game yeah, they're the all, it's completely puzzles. gated by music notes and it's very hard when you're doing trying to find out what's interactive to put a full scale together especially while there is you know even in a game that's this musical um the tones are difficult for I have a lot of music education mm-hmm. and the tones are difficult to put out they're not a clear um Doremi scale because you when you tap them out of order like putting them in order often they would sound the same and I would listen again and I'd be like oh that's a f- half step up so like they're you're really speaking close. specifically of the sheep like the sheep the sheep puzzle the sheep puzzle the tree puzzle there's the mul- tree puzzle as well there's multiple stages where you know and later in the game where you're just putting a musical um, scale into order but 
since you don't know what's tappable, it becomes very difficult to know if you're trying to match tones. Like it, it can you take know, a little while. This this may sound crazy. I know the two puzzles you're talking about. I clicked randomly on the sheep and completely randomly on the trees and got it in the first try. I just thought you had to click on all the sheep. Nope, you have to do it in a specific order and you have to put the scale in the right order. And they're like, they're very, it's a hard That's so weird. There's just like six sheep and I just thought like, well, I'll click on all the sheep. sheep. Oh, well, okay, I'm sure. And uh, I just clicked on all the sheep and I guess, I don't know what the chances of that are, but I I wasn't even listening. I didn't know they, I knew they played tones, but I didn't even pay attention. I just sort of clicked on sheep until it worked. And I think it happened on the first or second try. Weird. Okay. You're very lucky. Okay, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... I took me, it took me as in many games, the amount of time it takes me to solve a puzzle. That's how long it took me to realize I could click on the sheep. Because if you click on the wrong sheep, um, these tones, to me, the tones that were played by the sheep uh, were very, very mellow and they faded very much into the background music that I was hearing. And Mm -hmm. so it, I'm, I'm sure I clicked on the wrong sheep quite a bit. Uh, there's very little, there's only a visual cue if you click on the right sheep. So I clicked on a lot of wrong sheep and I gave up on sheep and then I gave up on that whole screen and I figured I must have lost something on another screen. So that one took me a long time and then I had to look it up. And then the trees, that was the next one. The tree, I I, I wanted to try it without looking things up. But in every other screen in this game, trees are decoration in the background and have no interactivity. And I didn't see any clues that that was any different on that screen. So were I mean, you I, looking in the megatome? Because almost all of these, there was a clue in the megatome. Uh, the megatome is very early in the game. You get a you get a sort of a magic book, and the magic book, when you open it, gives you a picture of every character in the game, uh, and you can click on them to see what they've been thinking, which kind of takes the form of like a little mental Twitter feed for each character. Um, and you can look at those. I don't believe that information is in the Megatome. I'm like I'm like eighty percent sure that it you know it, it doesn't tell you like click the first sheep first, but it tells you a lot of stuff. And every single time that I was stuck, there was something in the Megatome that pointed me in the right direction. It was it was very uh, guidey in that way. Um, I think with the tree puzzle in particular, I remember that it was something that the girl thought in the megatome that told me to click on trees or something. Like, I don't remember the details specifically now, but it, it was, it, there's stuff there. Like if you, and if you get stuck, there's a ton of walkthroughs about this. You don't feel like you have, I feel like it's, it's worth experiencing. Even if like, that's true. There's that's no true. like, there's no like aha moment really with these puzzles. It's not like portal where the fun of the game is solving the puzzles. So if the puzzles are a roadblock for you, just look up the stuff and and you know keep moving because it's going to be um you know spend as much time with the puzzles as you enjoy and if you start getting stuck my advice would be look it up it's not a big deal yeah don't do what i did was again was i i had so much trouble seeing some of the little birds flying around that i didn't know were there that i thought that i was missing a puzzle so i quit the game the first time i played it um if that was me again, I would have just looked it up and been like, oh, those are birds. Click on the tiny icons. Those are birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In a game where um, a, a man is about six pixels wide, clicking on like a, a, a starling 
it, it requires real precision. If you're not sure if something is interactive and then it has a smaller than expected hit area, you know, even if you tap it and get it right and it registers as a hit, you might not see it as a hit because you tapped in the wrong order and then you don't think it's clickable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of feedback for wrong roots. Mm-hmm. Add to that the complexity of a game that has, uh, especially on the computer, multiple different kinds of clicks that you're going to be using. There's a click and hold. There's a double tap. Uh, sorry, a double click. Uh, there's a right click being used. It, it, it adds an extra layer of uh, click the click on everything syndrome that I think plagues a lot of adventure games. Well, something to keep in mind here is that this is this is one of the earliest iOS point-and-click adventure games. Like, this was a first attempt at converting that age-old concept of point-and-click adventure games onto a touchscreen. And then we're playing a version of that that's been converted back over to a a computer if you played the the PC version. So there are some little slightly clunky things there. Um, But again, like, it's something where I, I feel like this didn't inhibit the value of playing this game because, for me, the puzzles were almost almost not they were they were just something that you did while you were chilling out and listening to the music so it, it didn't it didn't frustrate my experience I, I totally get it if it if it does I, I didn't have this problem on iPad um, it was just a, a usability issue and I don't think it would have been such a big deal had this not gotten so much praise for perfect controls that's something you heard a lot in those 2000. 11 era pieces well i think that all of almost all of those reviews were probably talking about the ipad version i I do think that this would be a real challenge on an iphone i probably wouldn't recommend that version unless you have like the gigantic iphone and have small fingers they do play with scale on the iphone more but it's hard Should we talk a little bit about the story of the game, such as it has? Yes. So um, we talked a little bit about the intro, um, but then once you speak with the uh, the archetype, you're kind of dropped into the story of the Scythian, our main character. And the Scythian is clearly a warrior. She's all pixelated, but you can tell that she has a sword and a shield. Um, but we don't know anything else about her other than that she's a Scythian. And... Uh, she's on a woeful errand. It only ever refers to your goals in this very vague uh, way. You know, the Scythian's woeful errand is never completely explained, but we do know that she uh, she has come to the area around Mingi Tai, or if I'm getting that wrong, I don't remember, uh, <laughs> to uh, to find the Megatome and to do something. And we find the Megatome pretty early on uh, in the first session. And that's the, the session that uh, that the archetype tells us is going to take about 15 minutes. And 
by the time I got to the end of that first session, I was pretty sold on the game because the uh, the moment you pick up the Megatome, the music really kicks in and suddenly you have to escape from this dark and creepy specter. What is that? What do they call the thing again? It's like a guardian. It, it's amazing because you think like, you're on the first fest quest and then like the big boss starts chasing you it is super epic and also um at that point i wasn't very good at moving yet and so i was moving way slower than i thought i would and i was like oh come on come on come on where's the run button that thing is terrifying for a for a thing that's you know it's just a, a beautiful piece of pixel art and it just really it really gets to you it's tiny bony hands and it's strange skeletal, you know, deer head, very creepy looking. Thing. Yeah, it reminded me of Yearwalk, that little uh, guy. So much in yes. this game reminded me of Yearwalk. I- I'm pretty confident that, that that this was an influence on Yearwalk because like you look at that thing, the uh, you look at the um, the Sylvan Sprites, which basically are the Mylings from Yearwalk. Um, yeah, yeah. That you know, you have to find them in much the same way. You have to use your device and manipulate things in similar ways. Um, they even look a lot alike, uh, except they have a creepier backstory in your walk. So yeah, totally a lot in common there. Um, and that's really all there is to the story. The story is you have to find and fight these three trigons, which are literally just triangles. And the combat is extremely rudimentary and kind of rhythm based, and that's mm-hmm. it. You 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 that's find and fight the things. That's the story. Not a lot of story here. You get swallowed by a, a giant face. Yes. And you run around in the dream world, and uh, a few other things. But yeah, it's it's a pretty straightforward quest. Uh, it's I would yeah, say anything but straightforward. Like it's it's so mysterious that your your goals are not clear to you at all, you know it really at any time. So it's it's. I mean, I thought I was collecting the golden tri thing, and then I stumbled upon it, and I was like, oh wait, now I'm fighting it. Oh, why am I fighting this? I thought it was my reward. It's a clear like allusion to the Triforce, but it's also like definitely has a different role in this world, and. All of the dialogue is just as mysterious as the story. Um, what they really they were really smart with the way that they wrote the dialogue for this game, and it's it's full of a kind of uh, high fantasy uh, structure and high fantasy kind of uh, kind of wording. Until suddenly they'll slip in phrases or or things that are a little more modern and just something about the contrast between that sort of modern uh, language. And the sort of high fantasy world worked out to be really funny. And 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 they also made all of the dialogue really, really tweetable. Uh, Hashtag sorcery. Yeah, it's all under 140 characters, and they give you a tweet option right there in the game. And I think this was a big part of the game's success. At the time when this first came out on the App Store, like, there weren't a lot of games that were really leveraging, you know, hey, tweet your thing from the game to... Uh, get people to share the game with their friends. This was one of the first games to really make that like a core part of the game to the point where literally every time dialogue appears on screen, you can tweet it. Yeah, I think I think even more so, even more uh, important to that aspect was the fact that everyone at that time maybe wasn't quite tired of seeing their friends 
tweet at them from inside of games yet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it helps that it really is amusing. Like, I'm just looking over some of the... I, I didn't do a bunch of tweeting, but I did screenshot um, all of my favorite moments and dialogue in the game. And I'm just flipping through some of it. Uh, you know, you, you complete this great puzzle and you... Uh, you get the weird head to stick out its tongue and give you a, uh, you know, place to walk across a chasm. And, and then your, uh, your caption is we had bridged the chasm and we felt super smart. one of my favorites is just a, what's up with that? Like, Hey, that's a gravestone. What's up with that? You woke the deathless specter who still lurks in the darkness beneath Mingi Ta. What a creep. Am I right? It's kind of, it's, it's, it straddles the line between, um, you know, high flown uh, fantasy type writing and very conversational. It's pithy. Yes. I like a pithy meandering game. It's a really odd thing because I never think of slow paced games as having this kind of pokey sense of humor. And this one has both. It's a really odd combo, but I dig it. It is. Yes. It manages to have sort of funny one liners and still be like moody and unsettling within seconds of each other. I just like that the dogs, the, the, the woodsman's called Logfella and the dog's called Dogfella. <laughs> I didn't realize the dog was called Dogfella for quite a while into the game. And it's perfect. Of course, he's called Dogfella. I also like that in the little like texty mind Twitter of the Megatome, the dog just says bark, bark, bark. Because of course the dog just says bark, bark, bark. Why would the dog say any- Why was I looking for the dog for quotes? couldn't get the twitter integration to work but that's just oh dang it me too so um i was really really annoyed about this i I have a feeling that maybe the ios version is uh is gonna be better in that way but maybe the uh maybe the twitter api changed in some way i tried to sign in to be able to tweet stuff from within the game and uh it just never accepted my password and wouldn't work and so i i think that it's broken in the desktop version um it may still work in the iOS version, though. I don't know. I guess that's how it is with, you know, five-year-old games with uh, integrations with online services with constantly changing APIs. Now that we're all totally mellowed out by this groovy score, is there anything else we want to discuss? Um, I, I think the real reason we're playing this game is not that, you know, it just popped up on our you know, finally made its way to the top of our games list. It's because it had a its five year anniversary, and so I think it's worth talking about what we think of kind of as the legacy of this game, and why it is a game that we still decided to choose. Yeah, how many iPhone games from five years ago is anyone still talking about or writing about? Uh, let alone like writing retrospectives about. Um, the verge, by the way, had a really, really good article. I'll try to link that. It, it, they interviewed some of the folks involved in the development, uh, and, uh, sort of did a, where are they now, uh, a little bit too. Um, it, it's a, it's a game that comes up constantly in terms of it, it's an easy touch point for people to point to as an influence. And you see it mentioned all the time, you know, uh, 
all sorts of, like for example um the monument valley uh developers uh cited this as one of their their biggest influences and i kind of see uh how they're you know how they're related a little bit this is a game that had a huge influence on a lot of people and it sold really well too like it sold 1.5 million copies as of the last time they announced anything like that which was 2013 that's a lot of copies for a weird iphone game with a weird story that's more than more or less you know a a, a mellow music thing rather than like a you know there this is this is no clash of clans well i think this game one of the biggest influences it had was one it got a lot of ports of old adventure games to the ipad it was a proof of concept um the other big thing is it told indie developers that their weird shit can actually make money um now it's actually gone the other way where people are worried that too many premium or freemium games have come out that premium games actual pay games are in a problem but this came out at a really sweet spot where people were you know had ipads they paid a ton of money all they had was flight control like this was something meaty um and so you can start putting the bigger stuff out and interesting it was, it was something that you could point to and say well look at this interesting experience that i have on my ipad and you know there's there's fascinating stuff happening on this platform this was something that people would people would point to as like one of the reasons to own an ipad when it first came out yeah i this is this is a bit of a non sequitur guys but i just discovered that the capybara games best game critter crunch no longer <laughs> no longer on the app store oh seriously? so yeah so this is this is what I'm saying is like these are games that the early app store era is a it's going to be a hard one for future players to get to get a chance to enjoy to its fullest. Yeah. Unless people re-release like on Game Dev Story. I mean, it's something that that worries me, actually, like that ha- that's happening to a lot of games. We talked about that a bit on the Game Dev Story episode. But you know, even even games from just five years ago that were important games uh, are dropping off of the platform um so yeah it's it's a it did come out at a certain kind of magical moment for indie games the sort of first wave almost well i guess the first wave would have been like you look at braid which i think came out in 2009 and this came out in 2011 but that's not that long of a gap like this was still early days for the sort of explosion of indie games and it was something that said the that mobile devices were a place that you could sell those and make money and make art something that was you know something off the beaten path something that's not going to be just uh, solitaire or something so yeah it, it had a huge impact and i think a ton of people followed the trail that this game made and and rushed to make games that were a little more interesting and artistic on touch devices like we look at people like uh like Simogo doing amazing interesting stuff that could only be done on devices like uh like iPhones and iPads. There's a lot of a lot of this DNA in device 6 and things like that. And uh it also launched some interesting careers and I'm I'm uh I followed Jim Guthrie uh you know for a while and try to to listen to his new stuff. You should check out his Bandcamp page. He's done other soundtracks. He's uh he's done some other albums that have been quite good. Um, and right now he's working on the soundtrack for another game from Cappy Games, uh, Below. Have you guys seen any of the videos of I Below? I am super excited about Below. Me too. It looks like it's really got a lot of the mood from 
Super Brothers, but it's going a little more towards an action game. It's hard to tell a whole lot about it at this point, and I don't really know if I don't think they've announced any sort of release date for it or anything, but the trailers are pretty cool. So I'll have a link to those in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, I saw a, a, a gameplay demo of it, and it looks like it's going to be amazing. Um, I, at the time when I was seeing that, I didn't realize that it was the same the same guys. I didn't even realize it was Capybara, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a really exciting uh, twist on the roguelike. You know, I love Dungeon Delves, right? Oh, yeah. So continuing with more adventure games, next week we're going to be talking about The Wolf Among Us. Uh, a game that I've been looking forward to covering for a while. Um, we did a, an episode on The Walking Dead from Telltale uh, quite a while back uh, and kind of talked our way through the entire uh, first chapter. I think we're going to do something kind of similar here because The Wolf Among Us is relatively long um, compared to a lot of what we cover, but it is broken down into chapters uh, and in much the same way that The Walking Dead is. And so we're probably going to be focusing primarily on the first chapter, both to avoid spoilers and also to uh, to kind of um, go with the short game format. Who doesn't want to play noir detective with a big bad wolf? What is it about detectives that work so well for adventure games? You get to talk. You get to talk and investigate and decide who you get to interrogate. Like, it's, it's a no-brainer. What is it about police procedurals that work so well for daytime TV? Exactly the same thing, Reagan. It really is. So uh, looking forward to talking about that with you guys uh, very soon. Uh, also, uh, hi, Molly and Nate. Congratulations on your, on your much belated, belated um, honeymoon. That's why uh, Nate isn't with us this week and may also not be with us next week as well. He is uh, off exploring the country with his, uh, with his wife. I was going to say newly, newlywed, but they're not really newlyweds now. They've, they've taken their time getting on the honeymoon, but they're finally on the, the honeymoon and having a great time. So, or hopefully. So have a great time out there, Nate. I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Um, and you can find the show notes for this episode with any links that we've mentioned plus our uh, uh, plus all our other episodes at our website www.theshortgame.net where you'll also find a contact form we love to hear from you if you have a suggestion for a game that we should cover on this show uh, or if you just have comments about something uh, let, let us know shoot us an email um, we also love iTunes reviews so leave us one there yeah thanks to uh, thanks to the slime girls for the use of our theme and thanks to audible and Squarespace for sponsoring the show <laughs> <laughs> if we build it they will come I'm sure uh, Laura where can people find you and all of your exciting deeds you can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash and Shane where can people find me? where can people find you People can find me over at 8BitShane on Twitter and uh, various other websites. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.